0: hello everyone my name is hadil also known as hadil speaks and you're listening to miss the point a podcast where i'm joined by many politicians activists journalists and everyday people to talk about politics in the context of the 21st century now today i'm joined by adnan who is honestly one of my favorite content creators who speaks about politics and a range of other things adnan would you like to introduce yourself
1: Thank you so much Hadil for having me on. For those who don't know my name is Adnan Shafi and I am the owner and the producer of the podcast and platform Pariah Nation. We focus on exclusively African issues that are affecting Africans on the continent and Africans in the diaspora as well but I am also a law student, law and politics to be specific, and I'm currently focusing on colonialism, global political economy and development as one of my courses. But I've also studied a bit of comparative politics. So that's basically who I am.
0: Yeah, so clearly Adnan is the perfect person to bring on for this topic. Um, Because You know, I've been thinking about this a lot, the idea of politics and perspective, because, um, you know, before we started recording, Adnan and I were talking about how politics is a collection of opinions, essentially, on many different things. And, you know, for it to be applied to society, we need to recognise that there's so many perspectives included. But what I think you'll find is a lot of times within society, we normalize only the western perspective and act like the west is the be-all and end-all of the whole international community and the whole political community and so um you know adnan i wanted to ask you what do you think it means to have a westernized perspective on politics and how do you think that impacts political discourse
1: um i think first of all yeah first and foremost we need to acknowledge that within history and in general politics there is a general bias that tends to assume that politics began with Europe. And there's a reason why when you're studying politics in one of my first comparative classes, who did we study? Plato and Aristotle. We'll never look at different societies within, for example, African communities, and we'll never look at the works of other people in regards to what politics actually is. And unfortunately, that means that our starting point is Europe. And we're already starting from this perspective of, oh, you know what? Europe was the first to come up up with politics, but it doesn't really make too much sense to me because politics just has to do with the structuring of the state and examining how the state functions. And this has been there for centuries within the African community. And well, we know from science, at least, what science is telling us currently is that people originated from the African continent. So if that is the case, in fact, and we've had a significant gene pool that has come from the African continent, why is our starting point, not Africa? And I've had the chance of looking into African philosophy. That's a course that I took in my last year of high school. And we looked a bit more into the philosophies of the Akan people. And we also looked into the Zulu philosophy of uh, Ubuntu. So the idea of communalism, I am because we are. And all of these things, they have, I mean, it's not It's not like, I mean, I hate the way people downplay it as, oh, African tribal politics. I mean, this is something that you can write papers on and the effects of communalism. And I was talking to another South African the other day and she was speaking about um, a ruler called Moshwe Shwe, um, I believe this was in Lesotho in the 17th to 18th century, I believe. Uh, but don't quote me on that one, I'm not too sure about the date or timing, Uh, but he also apparently had a form of democracy, and there was some form of communalism, etc. So I think it's very misleading that we often start off with Plato and Aristotle and simply just leave it there, you know? Even when we're discussing the concept of politics, people just assume that every African society had elders, and that was it. But they haven't even cared to look at, for example, you know these um these elder these systems with elders for example and they look down on them and I, this is again i've been studying critiques of western philosophy or western political thought and here's one interesting critique that i've managed to hear we often hear or like we'll we'll have people looking down on certain communities and just call them in quotes myths
0: yeah 110 percent you know one of the key parts is this idea that i hinted at earlier of perspective Um, I feel like when we evaluate or judge the value of different um, societies and their conception of politics or the state, we compare them to the Western conception of the state or etc. And by that, I mean, so a Western um, philosopher or political philosopher will look at, you know, uh, tribes and they'll be like, tribes weren't as important here, so they must not be important anywhere else and they must not have any value. And that normative idea of, you know, The West is normal and everything else is is, uh, you know, different or weird or inferior or uncivilized or underdeveloped, which is something we still hear today in politics. But this same notion is what allows us to, you know, limit our ability to actually go into and comprehend other states and other forms of, of politics and other areas. One thing I want to throw into the bucket, I guess, is this notion of just accepting things as plain truths. I think the moment we start to accept things as a truth without questioning them is where we see a lot of problems and the moments where we aren't given the choice to question or consider what we actually think about a topic is also a big problem. Um, I've been noticing this a lot but I feel like in today's society especially because of the rise of social media and especially because a lot more people have access to social media and have access to a platform and can speak. A lot of the time we speak in headlines and by that I mean two things. One, we only read the headline and not the full article and don't do any further reading on it but also two, we speak almost with like headlines so we say things that are meant to be are meant to create outrage things that are meant to capture people's attentions rather things that are meant rather than things that are meant to start a discussion i think that has an incredibly limiting impact on political discourse how do you feel about that adnan
1: um i definitely agree and i want to touch more on the point of you know accepting things to sort of just be truths and i totally also agree with the the concept of speaking in headlines the issue is i feel like a lot of people are not politically conscious enough and this is one weakness that I mentioned within the educational system as a whole. You can look at one of my podcasts where I talked about the African educational system and what exactly we're learning. And then I asked in that podcast, you will teach people the laws of mathematics. They'll know about Pythagoras, they'll know Sokatoa, they'll know about Pi, they'll know about oh integrals and they'll know about differentiation, but they won't know what's going on in parliament, Right. And what is the use of an educational system like that? If not, everyone is going to be a mathematician or a scientist or a computer scientist, but everyone is going to be a citizen to whom they are subject to the state and its laws. So why are we not teaching politics in some degree as a mandatory subject in our educational systems? I think that that's one of the things we should definitely learn about. Learn about the structure of the state, learn about different kinds of states etc and learn about how they function and definitely when we're speaking in headlines most people say that oh you know i'm capitalist i'm socialist i'm a democratic socialist oh i'm a leftist like do you even know what that means (laughs) right it's like it's unfortunate but like you know a lot of people speak without knowledge and i think that it's it's incumbent on every single person to read before you speak so don't just follow the crowds right because obviously people have taken things as a given like for example uh, one of the, the, the biggest pieces of propaganda that I think we've been subjected to as Africans is the concept that the West is inherently good and has come to spread the gospel of, as we've mentioned, the, the three, three truths of like you know democracy, human rights, and justice, right to the rest of the world. And obviously we know this is just a guy's uh, this is just a small cover, right a small veil for what is actually imperialism. Right. And we've mentioned how, you know, you have to start off by othering people and then you go into the countries and say, you know, hey, we've brought you democracy, we've brought you human rights, look at this, etc. And obviously this has been used as a precedent for the invasions of Libya, for example, and the invasions of Iraq, etc. We know about all these different things. So a lot of people, unfortunately, have fallen prey to these ideologies. And which is why I think it's also important while we're learning about, oh, this is the good system, this is the good system. It's also important to know what other people are saying about these systems. Because right now, as you said, people say that Africa is poor, but not very many of them will ask why. They'll automatically blame it on the leaders. Although, yes, I agree they have their part. But I can tell you one thing right now. From my studies, especially when it comes to development, the IMF, debt, structural adjustment programs, even if Africa's debt was cancelled tomorrow and tomorrow we got the best of the best of leaders, we'd still be behind the West. And it would not be an equitable playing field or this neoliberal free markets that Western leaders are preaching about. Because we cannot ignore, for example, the presence of something like colonialism and affecting what is happening in the modern day. So people obviously, they, they, they never ask the question why, right? And this is another thing that breeds racism as well. I mean, we will probably sure I'll get to that topic as well. But people will ask, oh, well, why do Nigerian immigrants do better in the States than the actual African-Americans themselves? Why not ask the question why? People make sweeping statements. Oh, oh there's a problem with the black community and crime. Have you asked why? And it's that question, right, that possibly leads you to more questions that will actually lead you to more questions and that will eventually lead you to knowledge. And you can form a holistic and informed objective opinion on what you believe to be the truth.
0: A hundred percent. So a few things I want to pick up on there. Um, So first, you know, talking about the African state, there'll probably be a future podcast episode on this um, on my page as well. But, you know, I always like talking about this one rap by Akala and it's called Thieves Banquet and in these banquet he brings um, the worst he considered the people he considers the worst in society of them were the third third world leaders the monarchs the bankers and the religious leaders of society and he says these are the people that exploit society the most Um, but you know one thing i want to pick up on specifically is how he talks about the monarchs who then put these third world leaders in positions to to fundamentally destroy these countries and continue the patterns of colonialism even though you know they said that you know these countries were free states and everything had stopped um the second of which you know you talked about this idea of white saviorism i think when you talk about how the west tried to bring over democracy and all these other things um and i wanted to ask do you think that you know this this political discourse and this um, normative stance that we have on politics. Do you think it is a product or an enabler of white saviorism?
1: Um, I think that it's it's actually the foundation of white saviorism. At the same time, it's also the product of it. And I'll explain why. So <clears throat> here's the here's the issue, right? You have a group of people who have taken collective ownership or leadership of the world for at least one century through the, the enterprise of colonialism. And it has been top down from them. They're the only ones that have been, you know, essentially constructing these political narratives. And their, their works are the only ones that are really represented in academia as something that's credible, as we've mentioned. So there's no representation whatsoever in any, you know, major academic schools of thoughts of a non-European or at least even American works, right? That's something that we can we can argue are definitely for, and most of these articles, etc., even on African history, African politics, a lot of these, in quotes, the, the leading people in these fields are not even African themselves, right? Which again, is something that's definitely problematic. We're not saying you can't have an objective opinion as a non-African on African politics, but it comes with a bias. That's the most important thing. So that's the main part. When you start from that point of view, academia has already been colonized, right? it's already been colonized. There's not enough work that has been done on non-European ideas for people to even have alternate you know, uh, suggestions to what the Europeans have brought over, right? People know it within their own communities, right? And people obviously know these different things, but we the nation state is something that has been imposed on colonial uh, former colonies, actually, right? I mean, who said that we wanted to to live within these lines that they just decided to wake up and draw one day? Who said that we wanted that, right? One of the tribes that I'm actually from, the Maasai people, have been split between Kenya and Tanzania. And obviously that's a whole different history in and of itself, right? But you have tribes that have been split, right? And you've had, and obviously you're very privileged in this case as well, the South Sudan and North Sudan, right? That whole secession issue over there, the whole you know cameroon issue with the francophone and anglophone parts of the nation all of these different conditions have been on, imposed on us right so it's like how do you how are you going to blame africans for the situation that they're in and then be like no 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 don't worry we're going to we're going to save you this is exact same colonial rhetoric that they use and even if you look at the the covenant of the league of nations right they speak of representing people who cannot and i quote stand on their own two feet right and what they referring to colonial subjects the same thing the same language was used by by winston churchill some of the the british favorites you know um you know he mentioned in the atlantic agreement um about oh self-determination all these different things and then he had to go back home to parliament and say actually i didn't mean colonial subjects So you see how they're always just shifting the goalposts. So they oppress, right? And it's as if you've been beaten up, right, by someone. And then you go to the hospital and you're asking for someone to perform surgery. And then it's the same person who beat you up, it's the same doctor who's giving you like the surgery right this is exactly how it's worked as a cycle it's like impoverish Africa then you start having this new colonialism in the form of imf and world bank loans then you also start having people coming on those missionary trips so like oh let's go save Africa let's go save these countries it's like let's be honest and we can see that these these all come from this idea of colonizing even academic circles
0: yes um you know the title is is politics universal and i feel like what we're uncovering here is that we are being taught that politics is universal. We are being taught that there is only one lens to look at and analyze politics through, but that doesn't necessarily mean that politics is universal. And that most definitely does mean that every, I, I feel like every analysis, every critique and every perspective available on politics is fundamentally valuable. I was actually at a conference, the Pan-African Youth Conference, um, uh, I believe a few days ago, and they were talking about the socio-economic development of Africa. And one thing they were talking about is the lack of academia that you were talking about. So the lack of academia, the lack of figures, the la- the lack of research being done by Africans on Africa in the continent, and the lack of representation they they receive in the biggest publications like the Economist and and many others in the West. And they were talking about how, when I say they, I'm talking about leading professors. Um, you know, they were discussing how. This has a fundamental impact on not only our understanding, but our perception of African politics and our perception of politics outside the Western sphere. So it gives us impression that the politics is not as developed, not as not as um, th- the research isn't done in a way that is um, critical and it doesn't use good methods, etc, when that couldn't be further from the truth. What part do you feel like organisations such as the UN um, and countries, certain countries having veto powers play into this idea of Western centricity within politics?
1: It just proves that colonialism and in general imperialism mixed with capitalism, they promote an unfair concentration of power that is bound to be misused. If you look at who has vetoes in the Security Council today. This is something clear. You can see it. <clears throat> There's a clear inequality, right? And I'm not here to say that, oh, the UN is the worst organization to ever exist. They have done good things, right? But I may also remind you that there are times where the UN has been unable to act, and people should stop viewing the UN as this savior, this angel that's going to come down and save it. No, it's not. The UN is a vehicle at times for imperialism. Why? Because if you have countries that have supported imperialist aims, right, before, and they have imperialist interests, of course, if they have a veto vote, you think that their resolution is not gonna go through, especially if they're all in like, you know, this conglomerate of like nations, of course it's going to happen, right? So the UN is more of a vehicle. It can be used for good. It can also be used for bad, right? So this is one thing. And another thing that I'll mention is that when you have this concentration of power, you can see that in all the main organizations, the IMF, and the world bank who has the majority of the votes which are like sort of weighted it's the us
0: yeah a hundred you know this um whole discussion reminds me of you know imperialism being the highest stage of capitalism and the more and more you talk about this stuff you see its validity of course our international um politics the dynamic of it is inherently exploitative um The the global south and many countries within the global south are constantly being exploited by the power structures. And so um, I'd wanna ask you, do you think other countries internalize and express these Western-centric perspectives by choice, habit, or force?
1: Uh, That's a deep question. I'd say that it it probably has to be a mixture of all of them, right? Um, Because there's definitely states which have decided that you know what we're going our own route we're not going to follow all of this and there's certain states that, that had to adapt so obviously we know for example there's certain african countries that still recognize certain kingdoms in kenya we recognize the the wanga uh, kingdom etc <clears throat> and in uh, obviously south africa they recognize the zulu kingdom etc but obviously those institutions have had to change because of the effects of colonialism and within botswana there's are certain areas i believe where you can go to a court and it's the elders that have that uh, permission to uh, to hand down that ruling in ghana as well they have certain jurisdictions where uh you can be able to exercise or rule on certain tribal matters and um there's an entire court that involves itself with that process but there's definitely been that perspective on it and here's the thing I mean it's it's a bit odd because we've all adopted constitutions many of us have been able to resort to the legal systems of the former colonizer which is why as a law student I can study here and I can even study in Hong Kong I can study in Canada etc and still go back to Kenya and practice law because a lot of it came from the same source so we've adopted this idea of common law precedent all these assumptions we've sort of, you know, taken that. Generally, though, it has to have been by force. It's not like, for example, one can say, "I'm going to reject the nation-state," right? Because um, if you look at the legal, the international definition of what a state is, um, there's that acronym of TSPGC, and one of them is like, you know, uh, recognition, right? Within those uh, those letters, just within the sub sub uh, definitions of those letters, right? You have to be recognized as a territory, you know, with a government and a population, etc by other countries otherwise you cannot be or like have a state or jurisdiction etc right and this is the issue we also have you know with places like somaliland western sahara etc so it's not like a, an african country or the african continent can even come together and be like actually guys let's go back to the way things were before colonialism and let's move with life we kind of we've been forced largely to adopt this nation state system and adopt the assumptions of this national identity which in and of itself is also problematic
0: Now, I hope throughout the duration of this episode, you've been able to consider a new opinion because this podcast is called Miss the Point. It looks at politics where sometimes we may miss the mark or miss the point. We do miss the point when we assume that politics is universal, we do miss the point when we only adopt the Western perspective on political ideas, on political systems, the idea of a state, how society should be run, the value of culture, tradition, religion. There are fundamental criticisms that we do need to make on our political systems, national or international. We need to look at the effects that they have on different states. We need to look at how our ideas ultimately influence others. And so we need to stop assuming that politics only exists in a vacuum. And people have the right to autonomy and sovereignty. But is that really being granted in today's society? I'll leave you with that question uh, for this week. And so to everyone who's listened to this podcast, thank you so much. Adnan, thank you. As always, for such an amazing discussion, please everyone do go and check him out on his social media. It will be linked down below. And until next Wednesday at 7.30pm, Hadil Speaks, over and out.